In case you haven't been watching any cable news in the last six months, and you haven't looked at anything on the internet, you haven't picked up a newspaper or a magazine, and you've lived a totally hermit-like existence, I'll let you in on a secret. We're living in a time of great change and great turmoil. This year, 2020, has seen one earth-shaking event after another. This is definitely one of those years that you never want to ask the question, what next? Because you'll likely find out. We have seen the world shaken to its core with a pandemic known as COVID-19. And so because of this, we've had lockdowns. We've had stay-at-home orders. We have had churches in some states that are forbidden to sing in worship. Churches in some states are forbidden to even assemble. We've had to wear masks to go to the grocery store. I never thought it'd be a commonplace to see people going into the bank wearing a mask and nobody think anything about it. We've seen riots in the streets. We've seen the destruction of statues of national heroes. We've watched police officers assaulted, assassinated, and vilified. What comes next? No one knows. If someone asks what the end result of this is all going to be, the wisest answer any of us can give is this. I don't know. What if someone asks, what kind of world are we going to have when all of this is over? We can give no sure and no definite answer to that question. Because we are ignorant of the future of our nation and we are ignorant of the future of our world. And we are also ignorant of what awaits each of us individually. Have I depressed you enough now? In the middle of all these uncertainties, though, there is something that we can be sure of. Not all of life is guesswork. And not all of life is a matter of chance. Folks, there are some roads of life that we can walk with assurance. And there are roads of life that we can walk with confidence. There are some solid, rock-solid certainties that we can lean our weak and weary shoulders against. We can lean on these even in these tempestuous days we're going through. And we can know that they will not let us down. The Apostle Paul was a man who lived through some very tempestuous days in his life. To Paul, tomorrow was an unknown quantity. 
Paul had no more of a blueprint for the future than you and I do. But there was something that Paul was certain of. And that something that Paul was certain of gave him a quiet and a calm heart. There was one great assurance that Paul leaned against with absolute confidence. He declared it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. He said, we know that to them that love God, All things work together for good. That's our passage we want to talk about this morning. Paul's letter to the Romans where he said, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now to be sure, folks, Paul did not mean That everything that happens in our world is good. He did not conclude that because we have a good and kind and loving and merciful God, that nothing but good is going to happen. Quite naturally, all of us would like to have that kind of faith in God. The kind of faith that because God is good and loving and kind and merciful, nothing but good is going to happen. The problem is, the grim facts of life tear such a faith as that into shreds and tatters. And if we're going to cling to that kind of faith, to do that, we've got to deceive ourselves. We can't have a faith like that unless we deliberately close our eyes to reality. To be able to announce that there are no such evils like sin or sickness or death, wouldn't that be a great thing to do? The only problem is it wouldn't be true. Paul was not making the assertion that everything that's going to come into our world is going to be good. He did not say that. And he did not say that every good thing is going to bring a good result. On the surface, that should be the case. But actually, experience often speaks the opposite even of that. When we look at our own lives, and we look at the lives of our friends and our acquaintances and those we know of, we can't close our eyes to the fact that Sometimes, folks have a way of taking their advantages and turning those advantages into disadvantages. I've known those that God blessed immeasurably, monetarily. And yet, the greater their monetary and material blessings from God became, the further and further they lived away from God. And so that positive advantage became a disadvantage for them. So what is Paul saying? He's telling us that to them that love God, all things work 
together for good. Whether good or bad. Whether it makes for laughter or for tears. Whether it makes for sunshine or darkness. Whether it makes for poverty or wealth. Pleasure or pain. All of it works together for good to them that love God. But what does he mean by that phrase, loving God? By loving God, he does not mean mere sentiment. And he does not mean a gushing tide of emotion. Oh, I just love the Lord. He's not talking about that. Jesus put it this way in John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. To love God is to obey God. To love God is to live life within the will of God. To love God is to find the way that God is walking and walk with God as did Enoch of old. Is Paul's statement true? Or is it not true? Is it a valid or an invalid statement? Will it work anytime, anywhere, and under any circumstances? To bring it down where we live. Paul says, all things work together for good to them that love God. We know this, Paul said. Will it work when the funds are low and the debts are high and I'm facing financial ruination? Will it work when we're sick and pain is walking on every nerve of our body and even stopping and jumping up and down on some of them? Will it work when the sea of life is smooth and calm? Will it work in a world where petty despots are on the point of wrecking our way of life and everything we hold dear? Paul was certain of this. And Paul was certain that in stating this, he was stating a universal truth. And personally, I believe he was right. His faith is a reasonable faith. Let's understand something. It's not reasonable because God is accustomed to shielding His saints. Because He doesn't. Oftentimes, we as humans, we're eager to try and coddle our children. We want to keep them from having any kind of pain, and so we indulge them, and oftentimes we're overprotective of them. I was determined when Norm and I were raising our boys, both of us were determined that, and this is not a politically correct term, but it's the only way I know to describe it, we weren't going to raise a couple of sissies. Okay? And so I I guess one of the things I felt worst about than anything I ever did was when Bryant was playing Little League football 
and I was one of the coaches. And Bryant comes over to me one afternoon at practice, and he's shaking his hand. I said, what's wrong with your hand? He said, I got caught between a couple of helmets. And I said, wiggle your fingers. He said, okay. I said, you're all right. Get out there and play football, boy. Well, that night it was hurting, and he told his mama about it. Next day it was swollen a little bit. Next day he went to practice. I said, get out there. Next day his mother took him to the doctor, and they x-rayed it. He had a fractured growth plate in his hand. I felt a little bit bad about it. But it toughened him up. We didn't coddle him. But sometimes we do want to protect our children from little hurts. Spare them from heartaches and hurts and disappointments of life. God does not make that mistake with His children. When Jesus gathered His little handful of friends together that night and ate the Passover with them, and He told them He was leaving, He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. I'm preparing a mansion for you at the Father's house, He told them. And a little later that night, He told them, He said, fellas, I'm going to pray for you. Read that prayer of Jesus in John 17. Jesus did not pray that that little handful of friends of His would lead sheltered lives. Jesus did not seek their protection from the rude winds that blow in our world. Here's what Jesus prayed. I pray. Not that thou should take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from evil. That's in John 17 and verse 15. In spite of His love and loyalty to them, and in spite of their love and loyalty to Him, every one of them suffered. Paul, the writer of our text, had not led an altogether sheltered life. He had lived through all sorts of experiences. There had been some folks that had loved Paul with a passionate devotion, and there were other folks that hated him with an intensity that made them want to shed his blood, and the sooner the better. Paul had known every kind of hardship imaginable. He had spent a night and a day in the waters clinging to the bit of a wreckage of a ship. He tells us in one place he had suffered the loss of all things. There was probably not a hardened criminal in the Roman Empire that had seen the inside of as many jails and prisons as Paul had seen. Paul had been to the whipping post for Jesus so many times if he'd gone to heaven backwards that would recognized him because of the scars on his back. So when Paul makes this bold declaration in Romans chapter 8, he didn't think that this was because God pampered and spoiled His children and spared them from hardship. But there's truth and there's validity in this strong and bold assertion Paul makes. Because the man or the woman who loves God can stand up to life. They meet the things in life that are difficult because it's God's will that they face them. And that man and that woman that loves God stands up to the difficulties of life. And facing those difficulties and facing life, 
they find that the conflicts of life are changed by the help of God into conquests, into victories. Folks, in times like these, oh my, this passage is a most thrilling truth for us. This passage means that none of us need be victims of circumstances. Sometimes it does seem that life deals more harshly with some folks than with others. And there are some folks that walk on merrily on their way until something happens to trip them up. And having once fallen, there are some folks that wallow in self-pity and blame for their failure and for their circumstances. They blame their friends. They blame their situation. They blame their parents. They blame God. They blame everybody. And they loudly wail, Oh, woe is me. Oh, look how my friends failed me. Look how God has let me down. Look how the deck has been so stacked against me in life. But, when facing the facts, the real cause for their failure is not what they have suffered. And why can I say this? Because I have known folks that has that life has dealt with as harshly or harsher than some of these that wail so loudly. Others who in spite of circumstances manage to live rich, joyous, happy, hopeful, Spirit-filled lives. This passage proclaims a great faith. Because it simplifies life for us. Look around you. Let's look around us. And see just how complex life can sometimes be. See just how muddled life sometimes is. Sometimes life can be worse than one of those 2,000-piece jigsaw puzzles that some folks like to put together. Sometimes life can be like the, the girl that I heard about the other day that called her boyfriend in tears. And she called him and she said, I just don't know what to do. I've got a puzzle that I'm trying to put together. I've poured all the pieces out on the table. I know what it's supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like a tiger, but I can't get the pieces to fit together. Can you come help me? And he went over to her house. Dropped everything he was doing and he walked in and she showed him the box the puzzle came in. She showed him the pieces that were on the dining room table. She said, what can we do? He said, here's what we're going to do, sweetheart. 
first of all, we're going to just leave this right where it is and just forget about it for now. And we're going to go out and have dinner. And then we're going to come back and we're going to put all the frosted flakes back in the box. I'll let you figure out what color her hair was. That's the way life can sometimes be for us, isn't it? Just all muddled up and confused and crazy. We don't have to puzzle about life. We don't have to puzzle over how we're going to change our losses into gains. All we've got to do is know how we're best going to live our lives within the will of God. And doing that, God will see to it that whatever happens to us will be for our ultimate good. Through the power of God, our dreariest days can often become our brightest days. We have to envision the events of our lives. Think about it as you would a pharmacist. You know, a lot of times in the pharmacy they just count pills, but there are those pharmacies that are known as compounding pharmacies. Where the doctor actually writes a prescription and they actually take the different components of that prescription and they mix it together and they compound your medicine. Oftentimes there are ingredients in medication that one single ingredient by itself, taken alone, could possibly kill us or cause bodily harm. But mixed together in the proper proportion with the other ingredients in that medication, it heals our broken bodies. Think about our life. Events of our lives that could crush us beneath their weight, but think of God as the master pharmacist. Blending all the events of our life together for our ultimate good. You see, sometimes we lose sight of what our ultimate good is. You remember the song we sing a lot, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through? Well, we're just passing through here. Our ultimate home and our ultimate goal is that place called heaven. And God is fashioning us here to make us fit subjects for that place called heaven. And God's taking all the events of our lives and molding them together for our ultimate good like a master pharmacist. He's molding the events of our lives together for our good, our ultimate home with Him in heaven throughout all ages, world without end. You see, God is going to make everything work together for my ultimate good. I believe that because Paul said it. Paul said, we know that to them that love God, all things work together for good. When we're living within the will of God, we can make that same statement that Paul made. Now here's the question. What about you this morning? What about your life? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Not just part of your life, but all of your life. Because if Jesus is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Master at all in your life. And if we're going to live our lives within the will of God, 
We've got to make Jesus the Lord and Master of all of our lives. Are there changes you need to make? If there are, this is your opportunity to do it as together we stand and while we sing.